Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Behind the Line podcast, where we discuss all things related to the Super Retriever series. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, David Hamilton, and while we normally talk to handlers on the show... Today, we're focused on the recently announced rule changes for the SRS. Now, before we get started, we do want to take a quick moment to say thank you to our sponsor, Yukonuba. The Super Retriever Series Crown Championship and this Behind the Line podcast series are both brought to you by Yukonuba, the leader in premium nutrition for sporting and working dogs. And speaking of premium, the premium competition for sporting and working dogs is the Super Retriever Series. And as you may know, there are some new rules for the competition this season. Here to help walk us through those changes is Matt Emerson, the retriever organizer and head field marshal for the SRS. Hey, Matt, how you doing today? Doing good. How are you? I am doing well. So as just recently announced, there are some changes this year for the Super Retriever Series into the rules. And so want to take a deep dive uh, with you today as the kind of subject matter expert on that is the head field marshal. So where do you want to start? What's um, what's most telling to you in terms of uh, rule changes that people might be interested in? Well, from my end, I think the the biggest rule change that people are going to recognize and, and people are going to want to know about is the change in the um, penalty assessment for a handle to the area of a mark. Used to, you only got charged 10 points for handling to the area. Um, in talking with the committee and getting feedback from handlers and everything, we felt like that wasn't quite enough. It wasn't rewarding the dog that was a really good marking dog and, and did well on that side of it enough to only give the dog that had to handle to the area 10 points. Um, so what we've done is we've changed that to 20 points uh, for a handle to the area of the fall on each individual mark. Now you're only assessed that one time uh, per mark, but it is uh, 20 points now rather than 10. And and when the committee comes up with these new rules, it sounds like you get feedback from people throughout the previous year and then kind of take that into consideration. But but how do you make a determination of, 
okay, this is maybe something that we want to do that, t- to your point a moment ago, rewards the dogs that do a good job and, and maybe penalizes those dogs and handler teams that, that you know, didn't pick it up as cleanly. You know, this handling to the area of the fall has always been something that has been a topic of conversation about how you actually judge that, what's the fairest way to do that. As everybody knows, SRS is a different platform as far as judging uh, because, you know, it's kind of like golf. We assess penalty points, but, you know, it, it's hard to judge a mark and and really reward the dog that that does that mark well along with penalizing the the dog that that doesn't do so well and so yeah it's always been a topic of conversation you know amongst the handlers and other people but and we've always tried to improve it uh it's it's been difficult to really figure it out but i i think you know putting a little more weight on marking and penalizing the dog that doesn't mark the bird more i feel like will will help every everybody as a whole and 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 make a lot of people happy, I think, that, you know, didn't feel like they were getting a fair shake when they had a dog that came out and just really killed the test. We're recording this podcast on, on March 3rd. It may be, it may be posted uh, a couple days from now. But uh, I see this year's uh, events. There's one, obviously, uh, this weekend, March 5th through 7th, uh, Cherokee Hills HRC in Greenville, South Carolina. Will this rule and the other new rule changes go in effect immediately at that Greenville event, or when do they take place? They go into effect immediately. They will start this coming weekend with the Cherokee Foothills event. Any other uh, big changes that you think people might need to know about heading into this weekend's competition? You know, that that's the only change to the scoring um, that we had as far as changing the, the, the actual penalty points of the scores. Um, you know, there may be a few slight modifications as far as, you know, wording of, of rules to, to help clarify some of those. I've got some of those highlighted here in the rules and we can talk about, but for the most part, the rest of what we're looking at is, is policy changes and, and just really trying to clear up some of the rules that were already in place to help people better understand them and, and help judges and, you know, all the handlers to make sure that they're, they're following those rules and they understand, you know, clearly. Yeah, that's a good point. Let's let's get into some of those clarifications. What are the ones you said you had highlighted there that you think might be of interest to everybody listening today? Well, I, I'll just go through, and and a lot of these are highlighted in the in the rules as you know it says new for for twenty twenty one, and these are things that we put in there that we felt like needed to be changed. And just example, the first one here, we're talking about the number of entries it takes to actually have an event. All right. So before we said that, you know, we had to have 30 dogs to actually justify having the event. And and that number 30 stays the same. But what we didn't do was we didn't break it down between pros and handlers. So before we could have had 28 pros and two handlers and and those two, I mean, two amateurs, those two amateurs would basically automatically get qualified for the crown and they would automatically get points towards their titles because there was only two dogs. And we didn't feel like that was fair. So now what we say is is we still have to have a combined 30 entries for the event to go through. And of those 30s, 20 of them have to be pros and at least 10 amateurs in order for that event to go through and those competitors to acquire all their points, whether it be points for UKC titles, for crown qualification, or team of the year points. So, for example, if there's 22 pros and eight amateurs, 
that event can still happen, but those eight amateurs would not be qualified for points towards titles or points towards qualifying for the crown. Would the 22, though? The 22 would, correct. So because you had 20, at least 20 pros, um, that would qualify that them for the event because, you know, they're judged separately. They run together, but they're judged separately. Sure. Makes sense. Any other uh, clarifications there that you think uh, we need to highlight here? Um, moving on down, um, we, we talked a lot and, and have had some questions about amateur qualifications. Um, and the question was, you know, it, if I train dogs, let's just say I do obedience dogs or I do bomb detection dogs, does that qualify me as a professional tr dog trainer? And in discussing it, we felt like to clear up any gray areas, any, you know, problems with, with whether this guy is a pro or an amateur, we tried to clarify and say that the handler must not receive monetary compensation for dog training. And that means any dog training within, within the previous year from the start of the date of the event. Um, so the year timeline kind of goes along with every other venue, but I feel like we just came in and, and kind of clarified that and said, you know what, if you train dogs on any level for, for compensation, then that makes you a pro. And all the committee felt like that was kind of the fair way to do it. Um, another thing there, uh, that kind of along the same lines, um, it says a, pro a professional retriever trainer or cohabitant shall not be listed as the owner or partial owner of a dog in the amateur competition. And what that means is, so the amateur is allowed to run actually six dogs. Okay. And then he can run two, two dogs that are, that are not owned by, you know, that he does not own. Now of those two dogs, those dogs cannot be owned by a professional or a cohabitant of, of that professional in the same household. But can it be trained by that professional? training does not matter. It's, it's okay. all about who owns the dog. Um, you know, it doesn't matter who trained the dog because most of the amateur handlers that we have, a lot of them, um, those dogs are actually trained by pros. Correct. And they're just, they're handled uh, by the amateur. But both those make, both those new rule uh, clarifications make sense to me. I was taking notes here and I said, if it's good enough for the IRS, it's good R good enough for the SRS. So <laughs> That's right. if you pay taxes on it and, you're, and you, it counts as part of your income for the year, you are now a, a professional and not an amateur. Makes sense. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Um, um, any anything else we want to highlight while, while we're still going kind of through the clarifications and whatnot? Um, yeah, one of the one of the things that we also talked about was was trying to clarify what we talked about and called the the hunt savvy scenario. A lot of times it wasn't real clear whether we went to this end of this series and this test, was this a hunt test or is this a hunt savvy series? So we, we, we put a little bit of clarification in there and I'll just read it to you. Um, what we now call a hunt savvy scenario, it says this scenario will go beyond what's customary at a weekend hunt test, large decoy spreads, layout blinds, boats, multiple guns, interrupted marks, multiple blinds and extremely realistic scenarios are strongly encouraged. Handlers will wear attire harmonious with the hunting environment. This includes camouflage shirts and jackets. The judges will determine and announce what the handling attire will be during the handler's briefing. You should have waders, hip boots, and all hunting attire you would normally use. And basically, we just wanted to help, you know, the handlers and the judges, the handlers in that they can read this and hopefully know 
a little bit about more about what to expect as far as from a training standpoint. And then the judges, you know, in reading this, hopefully help them understand what we're really calling a hunt savvy scenario. Any, any requirements for something like the crown of how many of the different uh, tests need to be a field trial, how many need to be a hunt test and how many need to be hunt savvy, or is that um, up to the judges in terms of, you know, what series one, two, three, four, and five? Well, we still, you know, say that in one of the first two series, you know, um, one of them needs to be a field trial like series and one of them needs to be a hunt test series. Now, one of the slight changes that we used was, you know, and those just apply to the club and the classic events where before there was a rule in there that said, you know, from the crown championship side that all the rules that applied to a club or a classic event applied to the crown, which meant that theoretically they had to do a hunt test and a field trial in, in one of the first two series for the crown. But we felt like, you know, when you get to the crown, you're going to see all those aspects. You're going to see a field trial. You're going to see a hunt test. And you're going to see a hunt savvy that, you know, we didn't want to, you know, hinder the judges where they couldn't come out in the first series and, and throw a big, you know, snow goose spread out there or do something creative and fun for the handlers. You know, we didn't really want to tie them down. So, Yes, in the in the regular weekend test, you still are required to do a hunt test like series in one of the first two and a field trial like series in one of the first two. Makes perfect sense. Uh, any changes to titling this year? Um, no. Um, n- there's some clarification on the titling. There was some question about, and we'll get a little bit more into this when we talk about the SRSU. There, there was an addition title that that was added last year which was is an srsu title there's one event we call the srsu and it's a collegiate event where college students or high school students can get a a coach or a mentor a, a pro or an amateur trainer that can come and help them with their dog and actually stand beside them while they're running the event and and kind of coach them and walk them through you know running the whole test um, the whole idea behind it was we wanted to get, you know, those high school age kids and those college age kids involved um, and, and get them excited about, you know, dogs and, and running hunt tests and training. And I think it's really accomplished that. And we've actually, you know, expanded on some of those rules. But to your question, yes, there was an actual SRSU title. The winner of that collegiate event receives a an SRSU title under UKC um, from last year going forward, um, but only the winner. Makes now, perfect sense. Oh, wait, yeah. go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. No, you're good. Um, there are some changes, um, or, or I wanted not necessarily changes, but I I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, the SRSU and, and more about, you know, what you can kind of expect from that. We want to really try to um, – make that a bigger event this year. And the way we did that was we came in and, and before, you know, you had to own the dog in order to be able to run that event. We've taken that rule out because we want to allow these kids, like I said, we just want to get them involved. Now as a high school or college age kid, you can run any dog. You don't have to own the dog. You know, it can be your buddy's dog. It can be, you know, your mentor's dog, one of their dogs that's helping you. But um, what that does is, is, is hopefully we can get more people involved where they're not, 
tied down to, to having to actually own that dog in order to do that. Now, from the coaching side, anybody can be their coach. Uh, there's no qualifications on that. But every coach can have up to six people on their team. And we started out as kind of a team sport where, you know, we looked at it as a college like the University of Arkansas, University of Alabama would ha- hopefully have a team. Well, we hadn't quite got there yet. And so we saw some some lower numbers and we wanted to get more people involved. So now it doesn't matter where you're at. You're, you're, the team side of it just comes from that particular coach can have up to six people that he's mentoring. Um, but you're still judged individually in that event. Got yeah. it. So, so perfect example. I know in years past, Rody Best and, and Stephen Durrance mm-hmm. and a few others have been coaches. So if, if I'm a college kid and, and you're a high school kid and, and Stephen mentors us both, we're both on quote Stephen's team, but David and Matt are competing independently and, and I could finish first and you fifth or you second and me Absolutely. seventh, but it doesn't, there's no team score this year. Is that what you're saying? Well, there is a team score and it's okay. just more of a kind of bragging rights deal. Um, sure. What we do is we take, so let's say um, one team has six guys and one team has five guys. We add those scores together and and make an average of them. And it's more of just bragging rights. We say, hey, you know, so-and-so's team won the event, but it, there's nothing really tied to it other than, you know, this coach's team is the the winner based on the, their average scores. But and the SRSU event, just looking here at the schedule, is scheduled for May 28th to May 30th. In Mayflower, Arkansas. So those yeah. rules, I'm assuming, just like the the things we were talking a minute ago, uh, those rules will go into effect at, at that event this year. Absolutely, yeah. And and all those rules are listed in the rules. If if you got any questions about it, you know they can contact one of us, and we'd be happy to help them through all of it. Yeah, that was my next question. If if I'm someone and I go, hey, I listen to this, and I'm I'm getting ready to compete in one of the upcoming events, and I I read through the rules, and there's still not something that's really clear to me. You know, what's my first step to to mitigate that, is it is it contact you or another rule committee member, or, or is it you know right on the Facebook page? How do I how do I get in contact with the right people to get my question answered? You know, any of those things you just said are 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 ways to do that. Um, you know, myself, I'm I'm happy to talk with anyone about rules, and I feel like I'm probably the one that knows the most about them. Most of our rules committee, though, uh, that are listed on the SRS site. They're all just as knowledgeable as I am and, and can help you walk through that. And, and if you have a question that they don't know the answer to, they can definitely get you that answer. Anything else you want to touch on that we haven't touched on here today in terms of, um, of anything new this year? You know, Shannon wanted me to talk about a couple of things. Um, you know, don't forget you, you have to be signed up and be a member of SRS through huntsecretary.com and, and in, in order to be able to sign up for these events. Um, something new for this year. Um, we in, we started a a hard open date for all the events, and that open date is always the Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern, closest, but no less than 30 days prior to the start of the event. So the Monday within 30 days, at least 30 days prior to the event, the closest Monday is when the event will open. And that way, there's no questions about, hey, so-and-so got in before I did because he knew it was fixing to open. It's just trying to be fair to everyone. And also, all the closings will be the same. They will be seven days prior to the start of the event at basically midnight of that day. 
And that new rule you were talking about a minute ago where uh, we have to have 20 pros and, and 10 amateurs, I'm assuming that's by that closing date, correct? Exactly. By that closing date, yes. Okay. If somebody wants a full breakdown of the rules, where can they go get a copy? Are you, are you going to be handing out books at upcoming events? Do they need to go to the website and print it out on their home printer? How can they get you know the full download on all these rules we've gone over? All these rules are listed on the, the SuperTreeverSeries.com site. Um, you go in there and, and, and you may have to navigate around a little bit to find where it says rules. But uh, under retrievers, it'll have, you know, the retriever rules. And then under the dock side, it'll have the dock rules. But um, they're all right there on the website. Um, one other thing I want to touch on a little bit that, that changed from the club side of it. these club events, you know, the payout basically is, is, is what has changed a little bit and that's all broken down in the rules. But, you know, it, I would encourage people to go look at it. And if you have questions, call me, basically what we've tried to do is go in and, and help the clubs try to actually make a little bit of money on this deal. Um, in past, it was hard for the way it was structured for them to really come out ahead unless they really, really tried and, and got some sponsors and everything. I know, um, you know, from the competitor side, it may look like you're getting a lot less on the payout, but I can promise you that it is pretty even to what was what was happening in the past. It just because what we're doing, we're starting out with a bigger um, pot of money and it, the, the percentage that it says you're getting is less, but the actual dollars is, is maybe a little less, but it's pretty close to what you were getting before. And then the remainder, obviously, like you said, goes to the club so that they can try to yeah, well, make a little profit off of it uh, and, and keep things afloat for, for hosting the event. Exactly. And it, it's, it's broken down um, in the rules. There, there's no, there's nothing hidden, you know, it's all right there and shows you what percentage goes where and, and who gets what? Well, cool. I think this all makes sense, Matt. Um, I mean, it seems pretty clear cut. Uh, like you said, if there's if there's any additional questions as people listen to this podcast or start to read the rules, um, certainly they can reach out to to you and the other members of the of the rules committee, and and they can also go to superretrieverseries.com and uh, download the rules. Um, and then, of course, you know, obviously reach out to to Shannon. Uh, also, if there's any questions, but uh, anything you want to say before we wrap up here today, it's been it's been super helpful for me, I know, and uh, hopefully for all the handlers that are that are tuning into this podcast. Uh, yeah, one more thing I forgot on the on the title side um, for you guys that, that feel like you have titles or questioning whether you have the points for titles. Number one, you can go on the SRS site and uh, there's a link to uh, all the points for those titles. But also, you know, UKC is really working with us and try to get this thing worked out to where everybody gets the title that, that deserves one. And so everyone that, that has a title and wants it to be recognized has to be registered. That dog has to be registered with UKC. Um, you know, if you've got any questions about that or figure out how to do that, you can call one of us or uh, call UKC and they'll, they'll help you with that. But Shannon wanted me to remind everybody, uh, number one, check your points and make sure that that we're all, you know, on the same page as far as how many points you've got and, and with the correct dog. And also in order to get that title recognized on your pedigree, you have to be a member of UKC. The dog has to be registered with UKC in order for you to do that. Great pointers there. Thanks, Matt. Uh, that right there will be super helpful for everyone uh, in, in terms of the titling, everything we've also touched on today in terms of, of, of clarifications on rules, 
on scoring. Uh, Matt Emerson, can't thank you enough for, for joining us today and walking us through all this. Uh, and as Matt said, uh, everyone, if you have any questions, just feel free to follow up. Before we end today, we do want to take one more moment to thank our sponsor, Yukonuba. Sporting Dogs give us everything we ask for and then some. Their nutrition should do the same for them. You can find out more information about Yukonuba at yukonubasportingdog.com and also follow them on Instagram and Facebook at Yukonuba Sporting Dog. This has been another episode of the Behind the Line podcast series for the Super Retriever Series. I'm your host, David Hamilton, and until we catch you next time, have a great day. Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois and the whole crew here at Duck Camp Dinners every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. When you go out there and the fish are where you think they are, any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.